You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. I wanted to talk about love tonight and how it expresses us, it expresses itself, it expresses ourselves, it expresses all things. At their most pure, as long as it's big love. And I think we can look at love <clears throat> in a couple of different ways. Uh, big love, which expresses itself through us, whether we um, are open to it or not. And small love, which orients its expression around negotiation this for that, tete-a-tete, quid pro quo, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. And it's not that small love is wrong, it's just that it's not complete. And it tends to run out of fuel. We tend uh, in that style of um, existence, if we are typically, if we consider ourselves really into love, it's oftentimes that we're into the addiction we have to what another person helps give us emotionally, rather than being on the other side of that. That said, small love can always lead us to big love. Contracted love can always lead us to ultimate love. And each of us has experienced ultimate love in myriad ways, but we often find as we hold a newborn, it's effortless. Whether it's our own or another's, it's effortless. When we see someone that's hurting, we literally regard them with an effortless, open heart. Unless we have small love kind of creeping in and reminding us of why we shouldn't be able to be open to that kind of love. And it's kind of funny, in Dharma teaching, in case you haven't recognized, we go in two directions all the time. Small self, big self, small love, big love. Conditioned, unconditioned, created, uncreated, form, emptiness. Okay? And it's not that one is better than the other. 
but that we always run the risk of staying locked in one or the other. Being able to fuse them both is the work. That's the path. And among the people who I think was best at articulating that um, fusion is Rumi. And there's this uh, book called Delicious Laughter, The Rambunctious Teaching Stories from the Mathnawi by Coleman Barks, uh, by Rumi. So it's a, a shameless plug for our friend Coleman Barks. Um, but there was this fantastic <laughs> little couplet uh, in the Mathnawi, by the way. Uh, Rumi didn't title any of his poems. He would just start, you know, just writing. And Barks gives them these, uh, these titles here. This one was Dying, Laughing. And it relates to this idea of love so much because in our expression of love, it's always contracted or egoic negotiation unless there is a certain divine death to the entire experience, a total surrender, an intimacy. There's an intimacy that we experience, not just in lovemaking, not just when we receive a meal that our partner or someone we love cooked for us, not just when we are in a situation where we see how proud we are of them, but all of those things and more. So that there is a radiance that oftentimes our romantic partners, especially, can teach us and show us that pushes us into this vast, spacious awareness that we never expected. And if we practice that, if we allow the relationship to guide our opening to big love, the relationship is suddenly transformed into something that's not negotiated. It's literally unconditional love. Rumi points it out this way. A lover was telling his beloved how much he loved her, how faithful he had been, how self-sacrificing, getting up before dawn every morning, fasting, giving up wealth and strength and fame, all for her. There was a fire in him. He didn't know where it came from, but it made him weep and melt like a candle. Love that line. Made him weep and melt like a candle. You've done well, she said, but listen to me. All this is the decor of love, the branches and leaves and blossoms. You must live at the root to be a true lover. Capital T, capital L, true lover. Where is that? Tell me, he says. You've done the outward acts, but you haven't died. You must die 
When he heard that, he lay back on the ground laughing and died. He opened like a rose that drops to the ground and died laughing. That laughter was his freedom and his gift to the eternal. As moonlight shines back at the sun, he heard the call to come home and went. When light returns to its source, it takes nothing of what it has illuminated. It may have shone on a garbage dump or a garden or in the center of a human eye, no matter. It goes, and when it does, the open plain becomes passionately desolate, wanting it back. So Jalaluddin Rumi points us, I think, in that direction of recognizing that until we really die, until we really give up all that is held, then what we have is the decor of love. And each of us, each of us can live at that root. Each of us can become a true lover if we literally just keep sweeping, keep practicing. Even when our partners drive us crazy. Even when our love shows up as just a thing, something we give a name to. When it's just a thing, it is interdependent on the negotiation we have with the other person. It's bound by time. In other words, it'll end. And oftentimes it does end because of something they might say or do or want, something that we can't provide. But at its core, it's empty. At love's core, it is totally open. And if we can look at that third quality that all things show us that they are empty and follow that path, we are oftentimes offered an entry point into the divine. When love is a thing, it's bound by ego. And when it's bound by ego, uh, it's always predicated on fear and threat. And uh, rather brilliantly, uh, Dr. John Gottman came up with these four horsemen of relationship. He talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse when it comes to relationship. And first, he talks about criticism. As criticism starts infusing a relationship, it oftentimes leads to contempt. And that contempt that one party may have for another, be they uh, 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 an intimate or a son or daughter or sibling or whatever, this, this all applies, I think, quite beautifully. After that contempt, there usually builds a certain um, fire that turns into defensiveness. So with defensiveness as our third horseman, once emotional reactions start leading to other emotional reactions, one of the two parties tends to shut off. They go away. And the fourth horseman 
is stonewalling. So then in small love, we always run this risk of these four horsemen, always. And we can actually put it into one horseman if we feel like it, although that throws the, the illusion right out the window. But the one horseman is fear. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling, all come from a defensive posture, a fearful posture. Masking is one of those four horsemen. Ego's job is to be afraid. Therefore, if we anchor our love in ego, we will always be afraid. So, we die. We die laughing. We go to the root. We go to the emptiness. We find the stillness as we hold that person in our heart if they're not near us, in our arms if they are. Can we be still with them? Can we allow our souls to intermingle timelessly from that place of emptiness? Can we just release? Can we just let go? Can we recognize the non-thingness of that type of love? That's freedom. And in freedom stuff grows. In freedom we uncover spirit. We uncover that which is precisely beyond our intellectual, our emotional, and our experiential cravings. The relationship is no longer about craving. The relationship is about true intimacy. It's about just open-hearted, open-minded, open, non-self-oriented, non-personal love. And that's light. A light that shines equally on all things, be it a forest, a desert, a tragedy, a disaster, a beautiful, glorious moment. When we rest there, we come home. When we rest there, it is our tear-filled return to grace. Um. When you say, uh, when love is a thing, do you mean it's the opposite of emptiness? Is that, is, is nothingness synonymous to emptiness? No. <laughs> no, let me, let me try to break that down because in a way it is. But the paradox here, Lucy, is that emptiness is experienced as a total fullness. Hmm. So emptiness is merely the name we give it. In other words, we can turn it into a thing 
by giving it a name, right? So the name emptiness is still dependent on the way we relate to it. But the experience of emptiness where the Buddha and uh, Jalaluddin Rumi, where they keep pushing us with their words and their teaching and so forth, is to have this resonant experience and it will only ever come from this, from quiet, from still. It will only ever come from stillness. Okay, now there may be great activity in your body when it's happening, when awakening happens. That might, that might occur. But what is still? Heart and mind. They drop. The body drops too, even though it's very active. Talk to marathon runners. They have this endorphin experience, but also they sometimes have this deeply spiritual experience as well. But my body's running fast. That's not still. Really? I don't know if I answered your question at all. <laughs> um, well, yes, you did. The thing, what, when you said when love is a thing, no? and I think of a thing as something kind of concrete, yeah. something kind of solid, something that, uh, it's again the language thing. Yeah. Me. How about if I said this? How about if I said, if love is a thing, then love, the love that is a thing is the love that you have very strong feelings, opinions, concepts about. Oh, I Does that make more sense? It makes sense, yes. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. kind of love that that can lead to, if you explore that kind of love, that you have opinions and concepts, and so if you explore that love deeply, it leads you into the kind of resonant love that can be shared equally with your husband and your kids and the mailman and the neighbor who has junk in his front yard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you, Michael. <laughs> beautiful, uh, beautiful lecture, beautiful um, and very important because love is after all at the core of us being alive. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. I think the hardest part about love is loving oneself. And I think if you can get to a point where you love yourself, then I think it's very, it's a very easy next step to love your neighbor, the guy with the junkyard, or yeah. the guy who's cutting you off on the freeway, or whatever it is. So what steps would you take? What steps should I take, or any of us take, to uncover that self? To uncover well, that love? I think the practice helps. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's just the continual peeling of the onion layers. So that there's no more I and there's yes. no more think. Yes. I think so. <laughs>
I guess along those same lines, um, it's strange to me that that unconditional love, that pure love that we all have felt at one time or another, you would think that that would be so addicting because it feels so at home that we would sit there more often but it seems so difficult to get back there. Yeah, it, it kind of almost feels like it gets beaten out of us a little, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, what, unfortunately, though, the, the thing that, if you will, beats it out of us, Barb, is not others. It's not culture. It's not advertising. It's our relationship to all of that. Yeah, I think what Jim said yeah. was very right on. Yeah, yeah it really, it's comes can, from inside. Can, it comes from loving ourselves. Yeah, can you let, and loving ourselves is the automatic response to surrender, to stillness. It's the automatic felt sense of reality the minute we are still. Mm-hmm. Because the only thing that can come from stillness is compassion. And that compassion directed outward is usually egoic. But when it comes from inward, it's the expression of no self. Mm-hmm. And that realization happens through stillness. Always. Always. Which is exactly why we sit. Can you elaborate? You made a comment about... Um ultimate love comes from stillness or being quiet mm-hmm. when we are still there is a uh, there's non-movement and in non-movement the mind is no longer swinging from you know limb in the future to limb in the past to another limb in the past to one to the future the mind is still and when the mind is still and the body is still the body mind literally starts to dissolve the boundary dissolves and its relationship as being separate dissolves so deep singularity starts to arise within the experience of body mind dropping And in that deep singularity, we recognize that there is nothing other than total fullness. And that fullness, we give a name. We call it love. But the love that I'm talking about here in this utter fullness is big love. It's ultimate love. It's not uh, contracted love or small love. It's not negotiated. It has nothing to do with romance. It has nothing to do with power has nothing to do with craving, you know, has nothing to do with desire. It has to do with precisely what's underneath all of that stuff and far more powerful and far more permanent because it's beyond time and beyond mind. (coughs) It's the fundamental nature of an expanding universe, except it's within our own heart and our own mind. 
and it makes you a better kisser. <laughs> I agree with Jim and Barb about one of the keys, you know, to attaining and become familiar and intimate with in bigger love is you know, to love yourself. And I also believe that one of the keys to that is to forgive yourself. You forgive yourself for not being not being perfect. Um, damn hard to do, certainly on a consistent basis. Because um, the ego just just loves to, you know, to you know, take control and be front and center and you know, slam you every t- you know, every t- every chance it gets. And you're right that I find that. For me, one of the times that the time the time to when my ego is least active is during and right especially right after meditation, like this evening when 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 we finished and and I felt you know you know full of love at that point and and I'd like to take this opportunity as long as I've got the microphone captive you know to you know thank the sangha you know for being here for you know for being supportive. Because I find that some of the best meditations I get, not that I'm being judgmental, mind you, <laughs> are here in the sangha with with, yeah. with with the rest of you, and I'm really really looking forward to the opportunity to to, you know, to attend the attend the retreat in end of February because that should be a very powerful experience. Yeah. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, my love. It's interesting that you brought this topic up tonight because. Lately, I've been trying to figure out what is love. You know, where does it come from? What is it? I guess the thing that the sangha has helped me with in love is realizing that if you just let the ego go away, you can love probably anyone. Um, and if I guess it's that fear piece. I reflect back about 10 years ago, I, there was a gentleman I worked with up here who drove me crazy, whether it was in a meeting or working on a project or just walking in my office. And then one day I had to job share with him for about six months. So I figured I better make this a nice six months than a nasty six months. And it was that taking away, it's, it's just looking at the spirit and then the spirit's where the love is, mm-hmm. not the actions. Mm-hmm. So, and when our actions become consciously informed with forgiveness, the love that we feel for ourselves can be shared with the love that we can always feel with other people. Mm-hmm. That brings chaos to your world. That will radically alter your relationships, just like the love of a child radically alters relationships. That forces all sorts of change, and it's scary, and it puts ego in the back seat as opposed to the driver's seat. Suddenly, it can't hang on to the four horsemen for himself or herself. You can no longer look in the mirror and say critical things, become contemptuous of yourself, get defensive internally, stonewall yourself. And this practice tears that apart because the fear that gives fire to each one of those horsemen 
that feeds those horses is slowly but surely and gently asked to take a rest. Ego's not pushed away. Just take a rest. We see you on the stage. You're precious, okay? Just take a rest. Because what's real is what's watching you. What we are looking for is what is doing the looking. <laughs>